0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, friends, Henry David Thoreau, he was an American philosopher, naturalist, and poet. In his seminal work, Walden, he said this. He said, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And what he meant by that is most men live, or most humans live, inauthentic and shallow lives dominated by competition and suffering for su- and striving and struggle for survival. In other words, he said what I think we all know. <laughs> Life is a struggle. Life is a struggle. And it's at the point of the struggle and desperation that the beautiful and the brutal intersect. But more than that, it's in the place of struggle and desperation that the brutal often causes us to want to give up. Have you been in that place? where you just wanted to give up? I've been there many times. I've been in there where I wanted to give up or give in or just let go. In fact, last year, I found myself in a place where I was on a walk with my wife, Shelly, and she stopped in the middle of the walk because she knew something's not right with you. And she looked at me and she said, Johnny, now she is the only human being allowed to call me Johnny. She has two ways of addressing me. Jonathan is usually like, we're going to have a talk. Johnny is usually a little bit more affectionate. (laughs) But she turned to me and she said in the middle of it, she said, Johnny, uh, it's okay if you don't want to keep going. It's all right. We'll be okay. And I wasn't really in a place of wanting to give up, but I was worn out. I was tired of the pandemic, but that wasn't really what wore me out because I think all of us were tired of the pandemic, right? I was so disappointed. I was tired of being disappointed in people that I had known for years behaving in a way that I just, it was unimaginable to me. And it, I, that disappointment just caused such deep fatigue in me. And I noticed that you really don't know what's in someone until they get angry, you don't know what's in someone until they're offended. And you don't know what's in someone until they get bumped, right? Well, it's in that moment that I realized also too, a moment of confession right off the beginning here, that part of the problem was me. See, I'm, I, those who know me best, my friends and family and those I work with, they know that I'm an idealistic person and I'm a people person. And that's a great combination for a pastor, great combination, but it's a dangerous combination for a leader because my idealism would lie to me all the time through the pandemic. My idealism would say this, if you're a really good leader, you'd be able to take everyone with you. And my love for people made every decision I made that disappointed them. And by the way, every decision you make in life disappoints somebody, but it just made it painful. And it was in that walk and talk with my wife that I realized that I was flagging, I was lacking in perseverance grit, endurance, resilience. My tank was getting empty in this moment. Now, none of us want to be in the place where we have to endure, do we? None of us want to be put in that place where we have to persevere. None of us want to be in that place. And we're a church that flows under the Pentecostal tradition. And that means that we love Easter Sunday moments, not Good Friday moments. But, friends, we all know, and I know I'm talking to a very mature crowd online and in person here, I, we all know that a lot of the good stuff and the beautiful stuff is on the other side of hard stuff and brutal stuff. Listen, there's no Good Friday, there's no Easter without a Good Friday. Without Jesus' birth, there's no cross. Without the cross, there's no resurrection. Without the resurrection, death wins. We know that. How do you get through those brutal seasons in your life? So we're going to turn the flashlight on the Apostle Peter, who's been both our example and teacher in this series, and see what he has to say. See, the interesting thing about Peter, he was a man of great enthusiasm. I love in John chapter 13, verse 37, where he turns to Jesus and enthusiastically declares that I'm ready to die for you. Peter promises, I'll persevere right to the end, even if it costs me my life. And I think Jesus smiled at this point as he responded in the very next verse. I'm sure he said, die for me, Peter. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Die for me, Peter. Peter, come on (laughs) up. I don't think so. You're going to deny me three times. And of course, Jesus is right. Peter doesn't persevere. Peter caves in. Peter denies him. It's at the intersection between the beautiful and the brutal that you discover what Angela Duckworth says, that enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. Is that not true? Is that true in your life? It's certainly true in mine. Enthusiasm is much easier to come by than endurance. Endurance is actually rare. So welcome to week five of our series, Brutal Faith. In this series, we've been honing in and focusing on these qualities that the Apostle Peter tells, not at the beginning of his young faith life, but when he's an older man. And he's telling us five quali- or a number of qualities that if we'll hone in and grab on and grow them in our lives, we w- he promises we won't stumble. These are the qualities, he says. Faith and goodness, and Pastor Keith led us through great teachings on that. Knowledge, self-control last week with Pastor Jessica— Say this word with me. Say it like you want it. Perseverance, godliness, mutual affection. And we have a guest speaker coming in to speak that one. Looking forward to it. Joe Ash Thomas is his name. And love. These are the characteristics that are going to grow us to a place where he promises in verse 8 this. He says this. With these qualities, active and growing. There's the qualifiers. With these qualities, active and growing in your lives. No grass will grow under your feet. In other words, we won't get stuck. You will be productive and useful. With these qualities active and growing in your life, you won't get stuck. No day will pass without its reward. You will be fruitful. As you mature in your experience of our master, Jesus. What an incredible promise, friends. As we mature in these qualities... We're not only gonna be fruitful, we won't get stuck in life. And we're gonna develop perseverance. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. The interesting, the word that uh, Peter uses for uh, perseverance here is a compound word. And in the original language that was written, the first part of it is the word hupo, which means under, and then meno, which means remain. And what Peter is saying is that to develop perseverance is the ability to remain under a pressure a hardship, a difficulty, and not cave, not give up, and have the resilience to face anything that comes towards you. Do you have that type of power? When temptation comes knocking? Do you have that type of power when hardship and suffering kind of enters into your life? Here's, I'm going to give you two truths. I think these are the two truths that have helped me most and I see in Scripture. The first is this, that that perseverance is grown in adversity, not prosperity. I, I, I saw this documentary a few months ago. It was uh, uh, the heavyweight champion of the world, Iron Mike Tyson's documentary. Now, uh, there's so many great heavyweight champions. I don't know if you're into boxing, but Muhammad Ali probably be right up there for me, and then, then Mike Tyson. He's, he's right there. Uh, they were interviewing, and the interviewer said, uh, your son wants to become a boxer. And he said, yes, I'm discouraging him. And the interviewer leaned in and said, why would you discourage your son from being a boxer? He said, well, he said, I grew up with nothing. I grew up on the streets. I grew up fighting for everything I got. He's had everything. He's going to get into a ring where there are people that are fighting for their lives. He has no idea what's coming for him. And it made me think of another boxer, marvelous Marvin Hagler. Anyone heard of him? He was a great boxer in his day. I love this quote. I've always remembered this quote. He said this, it's hard to get out of bed to go do road work at 5 a.m. when you sleep in silk pajamas. Isn't that true? Friends, it's not prosperity that grows resilience. It's adversity that grows re- resilience in our lives. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, we, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering or adversity produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So we know that great things come from perseverance. But perseverance isn't easy. It's a spiritual grace developed by facing and overcoming hardship and adversity. That's how you develop perseverance. Now, some of us are right now in a place of adversity and suffering and difficulty, I call those pockets of growth, growth pockets. They're uncomfortable, they're unwelcomed, but they are a part of everybody's life. You don't get a a pass from these. They come looking for you, but they're never comfortable. Some of you, and I'm gonna borrow some language. I met with one of the families in our church this past week, and the mom said this, describing her relationship of just working things out with her family. She said, sometimes you're in a delicate dance with your children. I thought, oh, as a parent, I understand exactly what that's like. The delicate dance of letting your kids go through something or rescuing them from something. How do you know when to allow them to go through it? And how do you know when to rescue them from it? See, the difficulty is perseverance or grit or endurance and resilience. We admire it when we see it, don't we? A lot of the stories that you like to revisit are stories of endurance and perseverance and grit And and resilience, we love when we see it. Here's the problem often with parents is sometimes we rescue our kids too early and too often. And we make them actually more vulnerable in life and less resilient in life. But the other side of it's true too. There are some things that your brother, your sister, your children, your parents might face that won't grow resilience and grit. It will hurt them and destroy them. There are things in life that come at us that we need somebody to step in, to help with, right? How do you know? How do you know when to step in and how do you know when to, to let them work it out? Well, Jesus is our great example here. And Jesus gives us an example. Some of you, this is gonna be a little life-changing even in your spiritual work, because sometimes you wondered, why doesn't God step in now? You've ever been there where you're praying and you're asking, God, why won't you step in? And other times, he steps in so readily. Other times, you're just like, well, well, we're going to see something in the pattern of Jesus. Jesus was a master at this. Do you ever notice in the story when the woman is caught in adultery, and if you've never read the Bible, I really recommend the Gospels because you get to see how Jesus operated. You get to see a picture of God as you see Jesus because he is. if you see me, he says of himself, you've seen the Father in heaven. Well, Jesus steps in front of a woman caught in adultery, Uh, She's facing a penalty of death for adultery. And in that patriarchal society, it's interesting that she was singled out, but where's the guy in that story? Just saying, just saying. But she's, and Jesus steps in, why? Because there's a power imbalance. There's a power imbalance. The powers coming at her exceed the power that she has. And Jesus steps in front of those powers. And so should you. Now, let's recognize there's power imbalances all over it. Power imbalances aren't evil. If you're a parent, you have a disproportionate amount of power over your children right now. In workplace settings, there are people that have more power than other people. Power is not the issue like money's not the issue like sex is not the issue. It's the abuse of it that is. So if you have been put in a place of power and you're using the power to enrich yourself and to serve yourself, if you're using that power to stand on others, that's where Jesus would say you step in when you see that. Instead, the power we have over others is meant to elevate others. We serve others with it. That's the type of that's how we use power. With power comes great responsibility and God holds us accountable for it. He does. So we use our power to build up around us. But when there's a power imbalance that is damaging, Jesus steps in. He gets involved and so should you as a parent. The second thing you'll notice is that Jesus came alongside those that were blind and lame and deaf, demon-possessed, anyone who is facing a lifelong deficit. When they were facing a lifelong deficit, something that was beyond their ability to fix, Jesus always steps in. He comes alongside them. In August of this year, I showed you a video of my my dad, and my dad has Alzheimer's, and it's very debilitating. Friends, unless Jesus does something, that's not changing. So what do you do? Let him persevere? Grit it out? No, friends. You step in. And you come alongside. And you care. There are people that have faced traumatic and difficult things in life. Loss. Mental, emotional illnesses. Physical Uh, disabilities. It's not about gritting it out. It's not about persevering in that moment. No, no, no. You take your strength and you come alongside and you step in front of. And there's a third time you can see in the Gospels where Jesus steps in and he says we should do also is when he's seen evil, whether religious forms of it or secular forms of it, abusing people and using people. In Matthew's gospel, he speaks directly to this. He says this in Matthew's gospel. He says, if anyone causes these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What is Jesus talking about here? The little ones here in Matthew describe children. And in that ancient middle, you know, children have a number of rights and protections in our culture and society. They didn't back then. They are still the most vulnerable sector in our society, but uh, there are some laws that are meant to protect, but, but in that society, it was almost fair game. But he says, if anyone causes them to stumble, the vulnerable and the powerless, better for a millstone around their neck and drowned in the deeps of the sea. In other words, I'll hold them accountable. Better for that. In Luke's gospel, and Mark's gospel, it describes those little ones as being the outsiders, like somebody, like a new immigrant, those who are in a vulnerable place, or it describes it as being the poor or the suffering. That It's not about persevering through these moments. It's about stepping in front of and, and stepping in in these situations. You know, I know I'm speaking to, because I know some people in this church, whether online or here, who are professional athletes, you know that it's true. No pain, no? Yeah, no pain, no gain. There's truth in that. That you as an athlete need to go through painful situations to gain, to be faster. Listen, before the podium comes sort of some sort of pain of training to get faster and stronger. But I also know I'm speaking to some professional psychiatrists, psychologists, and counselors in this room who know that not all pain leads to gain. There's some pain that is meant to destroy. There's some pain that as a parent, you need to step in on and you need to discern whether this is a situation you need to or a situation you need to allow your children to go through. So when did Jesus allow people to go through adversity? I'm glad you asked. So here's the moments that he did allow. One of my favorite stories, he always allowed them to go through and work through adversity when they had the power to change things themselves. One of my favorite stories is, uh, how do you know when to let them work it through? The next point here, when they have the power, the rich young ruler uh, comes to Jesus and he faces his adversity because he's done all these great things. And then Jesus says, and I want you to get rid of all of your possessions and I want you to give it to the poor. And he immediately enters into a place of suffering and adversity because Jesus knew those things owned him. So he didn't want him to be controlled by those things. So give them up and follow me. And he doesn't do it. He won't do it. And what's interesting is Jesus had the power to change that situation. Jesus had the power to convince him to do it, and he didn't. Because it was within his power to do this and make this decision. I've noticed in my life that Jesus hasn't always stepped in when I've asked him. I've asked him to, to heal a relationship or two along the way but Jesus had already given me the power to heal it. It just required humility of me. I wanted him to do something miraculous there, as opposed to me humbling myself and doing the work to repair the relationship. So pray all you want. When it's within your hands and God's giving you the ability, there's something responsible we have to lead into this. So Jesus doesn't rescue us when he's already given us the power to actually do what is right here. There's another thing you notice in scripture. You notice he doesn't step in when there's a greater purpose or lesson. So one of my favorite stories is the story when Lazarus has died, one of Jesus' great friends. It says in the Bible that Jesus knew he was gonna die and that if Jesus had shown up early, he wouldn't have died. So why didn't Jesus come early? Well, it says, it unpacks it beautifully. It says, because Jesus was gonna show everyone That there was a greater glory. God was going to get greater glory in the fact that he had power over death. That dead men could walk again. So why did he let them linger in that season of pain? Well, there was a greater purpose and lesson. I've noticed in my life that sometimes God has allowed a desert moment so I could experience a promised land moment. That sometimes God didn't deliver me in the right way or in my way because he had something greater he was doing in me and through me. We all know this, especially I'm talking to mature people here, that tough times are really clarifying times, aren't they? You know the gift. I always, we know this. This is pretty one-on-one. You know with tough times you figure out quickly who your friends are, don't you? Yeah, everybody's nodding because we've all felt this thing of disappointment because occasionally in tough times, those people we thought would be there, no longer there, right? (laughs) But you know, one of the biggest surprises for me in tough times is I I met the Good Friday Jesus. You'll never meet the Good Friday Jesus in Easter moments. You meet the Good Friday Jesus when you feel all alone when you feel broken, when you feel abandoned. You meet the Good Friday Jesus in those moments when you blink your spiritual eyes and you rub the suffering, of, the sleep of suffering out of your eyes, and when you realize some people have left you, your health has left you, maybe your prosperity has left you, but Jesus has not left the room. That he loves you in those moments. Parents, if you have the power to rescue your kids, Don't do it too quickly. Let them work it out. Step in if it's abusive. Step in if there's a power imbalance. Step in if it's some sort of deficit that they can't overcome. Absolutely, you need to. But sometimes we step in prematurely because it's more about our comfort than it is about theirs. Isn't it hard to suffer as a parent to watch your children make some decisions, especially when they become adults, right? Because you can't stay, and if you stay in that position of authority, you gotta be very careful. As you, your kids grow, you need to give them room. What do you mean? To make bad decisions? Did you make any? Yeah. Unless they invite you in. You gotta, and it's painful. It's hard to do that. You need to grow in patience and endurance and perseverance to allow them to grow in perseverance. Jesus knew he had the power to change situations, and sometimes he lets us sit in it because he's growing us. So the first one is, perseverance is grown in adversity, not prosperity. Here's the next one. Perseverance pairs best with future aspirations, not present agitations. <laughs> Not present agitation. We're grown best as, and, we, and it pairs best as we see a vision for the future, not the present agitations we're going through. Let's look back at uh, Romans 5. We also, say this word with me. Rejoice. See, I knew, I knew there'd be like, there'd be like, a quarter of the people that were enthusiastic about this, and many of us would be going like, "That's a typo, Paul. Uh, please press delete, spell check, grammarly did not come through there." We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering, because we know that we can rejoice in suffering because we know of a future aspiration, something that's gonna happen on the other side of this. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and then perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. So again, back to the parents, I'm just helping you. Lessons I've learned along the way. If you don't allow your kids to produce perseverance, character is what you see revealed in moments of difficulty. It's the default. It's the stuff that nobody celebrates, but everyone sees when they see a lack of it. But perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. There's incredible promise here. That when we're, but when we're going through adversity or suffering, have you noticed that when you're going through it, the agitation you feel? The amygdala starts to kick in, and it's saying, get me out of here. I don't want a piece of this. How do we end this? How do we get on the other side of it? And the apostle Paul pulls it back. Listen, if you you don't, in the moment, you don't live in that moment. Live for the future aspiration beyond what you're going through right now. And Paul says, it's going to produce all these good things. I was thinking of it this week. I was thinking the Christian, to be a Christian means you have an inner invulnerability to suffering, not an outer immunity from suffering. We have an inner invulnerability in us, rooted in the gospel and what Jesus has done. I'll unpack that in a minute. But we don't have an outer immunity to it. It's coming for us. You're in it right now. It's a part of life. It's not with some sort of foreboding. It's just as natural as me getting up and eating a meal. It's a part of our life, that striving, that suffering, the adversity that we experience. And Paul says elsewhere, this in scripture, he says, we are perplexed but we're not in despair, cast down, but not destroyed. We we don't have this inner, we don't have this outer invulnerability to suffering, but we do have an inner invulnerability. We're not in despair, we're not destroyed. Stuff is coming at us, but we're resilient. We have grit, we have the ability to endure in these moments. See, because of the gospel, you have an ability not just to get through stuff, but to grow through stuff, to grow through it. Friends, we can't afford to get this wrong because this is attached to our testimony. It's it's fine and good for me to say to someone, you look what Jesus has done when I feel blessed. I'm on top of a mountain. But you know everyone's watching you when you're going through it. What makes you different from me? What, what, What is this resource you say you have in God And how do I see that when when the chips are down, when everything's coming at you? Where's that peace you talked about? It's easy to find peace on the mountaintop, isn't it? I mean, guys, when everything's great, when when Hannah's leading us in Cornerstone and, and life is just adding up and it's all in the straight line and everybody around me that I know and love is making all the right decisions, it's easy to say, serving God is wonderful. But what if you're in prison like Paul's been? What what, what if you're in that place of denial like Peter's been? That's the point where the rubber hits the road. This is the strength that God has available to us. And we can't afford to miss this. So let me end with this. I was thinking about how many times I've found myself in adversity or I've had, had friends and family that have gone through difficult seasons. You know, one of the greatest gifts I bring to people is perspective, perspective. Because I realize it's one of the first things that people lose. So there's two habits I have. Whether I'm encouraging someone going through something or I'm going through something, I'm hoping they're helpful for you. The first thing I have a habit of doing is I remind myself, don't take score when you're still in the fight. I remind myself of this all the time. Don't take score when you're still in the fight. Uh, anyone notice that there's a little something different about my face today? You're just too polite to ask, right? Well, well I, I'm, a, I'm a redhead, and every year I go to the doctor to see how much damage the sun has done to my skin. So I, I went on Monday of this week, and I went to the doctor, he looked me over, and he yelled, he called out to his assistant, bring my gun! And I said, doctor, are you putting me down? <laughs> And he has this nitro, liquid nitrogen gun that he, those abrasions that could be precancerous that might lead to something, he burns them off. It's brutal. It's not beautiful. It certainly doesn't look beautiful. <laughs> this is be- way better. My poor staff, I showed up on Tuesday morning for a staff meeting. I said, This is not contagious. <laughs> this is, <laughs> you-, you know what's interesting though? Sometimes you go through hard things to get to good things, right? Future me thanks present me for going through a present brutal for a future benefit. This is preventative. This is helpful that way. I have to remind myself in the middle of adversity and hardship, don't take score here. Because in the middle of it, when he's got the gun and he's burning it off, the score looks like, why am I here? Get out of this. This makes no sense. This is painful. But I stay in the pocket of that because I have a future aspiration that exceeds my present agitation. I have a future aspiration for for a better benefit on the other side of this. So I remind myself often, this too shall pass. This is going to pass. Whether in this life or the life to come, I'm living now for then. I'm living now for then. This is never the final chapter, friends. Whatever chapter you're in, it might be a brutal chapter. It's not the final chapter. It's not. If I take score in that moment, though, the brutal is winning, not the beautiful. So I remind myself, don't take score while you're still in the fight. And secondly, this, don't forget, you are not alone. In the middle of adversity, don't you get lied to? You're all alone. You're around people too, but you're all alone. You might feel that today, whether online or right here, you might feel like nobody understands what I'm going through. I I am all alone in this. One of my favorite stories in the older part of the Bible is a story of three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the three men wouldn't bow to an image of the king, the great and all-powerful King Nebuchadnezzar. So they are thrown into a fiery furnace as their penalty. And it's interesting. It says in the text that it was so hot that it actually killed the guards that were throwing them in. And the king expected to hear yelling and screaming, but as he looked into the furnace, he saw them walking. He didn't see them screaming. He didn't see them deteriorating at all, but they were walking around. And he noticed as he peered in, not three men, but four four men so he calls them out and only three came out and it's interesting it says here that the we know who the fourth one is don't we he, the king says these words he says there's one walking around there in, in around in there with them who looks like the son of god the prophet Isaiah would say this prophetically. He'd say, fear not, I will be with you. I have redeemed you. When you walk through the fire, I will be with you. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. You know, here's how we encourage ourselves in the middle of this adversity that we have. You, you need to forget, you need to remember, you're not alone in this. All you need to remember is that Jesus went into the furnace for you. Long before we got in our little furnaces that we're in right now, Jesus went for you. But he didn't go in with God. He went alone. It says on the cross that he was utterly abandoned, that the sins of this world were heaped upon him, that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it means to be all by himself and all alone so you would never have to be. You can always go through the little furnaces we face when you remember to face and look at Jesus throughout it and remember he's been there and he is here. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And the longer you gaze on Jesus, the more you realize, man, he loves you. He loves you. Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know. It's important before you're ever in a furnace or adversity moment or suffering moment, it's per- important to take stock. What do you know? What do you know now that you can remember then? Scripture says this, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed against that, uh, unto him against that day. We can know him and can be persuaded that he is able to keep us unto himself against whatever comes our way in this life. Jesus is with us, he cares for us. And if you're part of One Church, yo, we care for you. We care for you and we want to stand with you. When Jesus kind of comes back into Peter's life, Jesus, Peter's denied him three times, Jesus has risen from the grave, they're having breakfast beside the water. After his failure, after his, his he caved in moment Peter has done, Peter encounters a truth that maybe some of you need to hear today. See, in the face of temptation, maybe you've maybe you've given in. In the face of suffering, maybe you've caved in. In the face of hardship, maybe you've forsaken God. In the face of pain and loss, hey, maybe you've even cursed God. In the face of adversity, Maybe you haven't persevered. But Peter learned a powerful lesson, and so should you. That it wasn't so much Peter's ability to endure, to persevere. What counted was Jesus' ability to persevere. And the gospel is the story of a great exchange that happens between us and Jesus. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we get his record, not our record. It's beautiful, friends. It's not fair. It's grace. And that's what the gift that God offers us in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our difficulty. But we need to be anchored to something if we're gonna navigate this. I, I grew up right on the Atlantic Ocean. I, I've seen boats from my house for, for decades. I'd look out and I'd see these big boats anchored to the ocean floor. you know what's interesting about an anchor is an anchor doesn't mean the boat doesn't move. An anchor always has enough slack that the boat does move a bit. And the anchor also moves across the bottom of the ocean floor. It'll it'll move and drag a little bit here and there depending on the the height of the storms. Listen, to be anchored to Jesus doesn't mean you don't move. Doesn't mean you don't feel things. Doesn't mean that, that you're not gonna be shifted. It doesn't mean that it's not feeling like a battle that's moving back and forth. What it means, though, is you won't hit the rocks because you're anchored to something deeper and stronger and more solid than you. And so we have an anchor in Jesus. We're going to sing this song that we sang earlier, and the lyrics go like this. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, say this with me, My anchor holds within the veil. What does that mean? My anchor holds within the veil. The veil, this is an old, old hymn. The veil is the veil between heaven and earth. We're not anchored to this earth, friends. We're anchored to heaven. We're anchored to the author and finisher of our faith. We are anchored to the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-loving God of the universe. I don't know what storm you're in. I don't know what it's doing to you today. In a moment, Pastor Keith is gonna come and he's gonna lead us in a benediction. And before that, he's gonna invite the elders of this church, maybe some of our deacons that might be present, to come to the front and be available. And any of you, friends, who are going through suffering and adversity right now, We're going to come alongside you in this moment. I want to remind you as you come down this aisle, as you come for prayer, or if you're online, as you jump in the chat room and you request prayer, I want to remind you, it's not anchoring yourself to anything anyone will say up front here. You anchor yourself to Jesus. There's nothing you're seeing that he hasn't experienced. There's nothing you're going through that he can't see you through. Don't take the score right now. It might look a little brutal. But Jesus has this miraculous ability to create beautiful on the other side of beautiful. Father, we come to you in this place and space acknowledging we need grace. Would you grace us with your presence? Would you grace us for all of our failures, all of our inadequacies, all the times, God, that we've been like Peter, we denied you, God, God, maybe it's not even been to people, but we just deny that you're present in our life. We deny that you love us, God. We deny that you're there for us and nothing could be further from the truth. There's nothing anyone can say or do in this room or online that will turn off God's love towards you. Nothing. And there are people that may judge you, people that might say that you don't belong. And Jesus' arms are wide open, and he says, I accept you. But Pastor Jonathan, don't we need to get ourselves cleaned up? No, you you can't find enough Mr. Clean to clean yourself up, to be worthy of Jesus. Instead, he says, you come to me just as you are. Leave the cleaning to me, and I'll work on you. And we'll work through this together. But I love you, I made you, I accept you, I want you. For whoever needs to hear that, maybe the simple prayer is just, Jesus, I come to you just as I am. And for some of you in this room, it might be difficult because you're thinking, like, I don't want to come to a church. I'm struggling with organized religion. It's damaged me over the years. Maybe you've suffered even abuse in that context or abuse in another context. And trusting is really hard. You know what? Just come to Jesus today. Forget the church or religion. Even though I love the church and I don't think it's perfect, just come to Jesus today. I know you can trust him. He will never use you. He'll only give to you. And even if we abuse him, he will never do that to us. So Jesus, we come to you today acknowledging that we are coming to our friend, our brother, our savior, and our king. Forgive us and grace us. And God, we ask you to come alongside us. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.